This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church stuff, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Because it's Tuesday, we can get right to questions while we await your phone calls, and we would love your phone calls. Uh, here is a question. This one is from Kirby, a follow-up on yesterday's question. It said, Good morning, Pastor Ron, and thank you for your answer to my question yesterday on Daniel chapter 9. I continued into chapter 10, and it's just as you said. I'm glad of that. It's exciting to see God's hand work so visibly in that passage. My question is, at the end of the chapter in verses uh, 21 and going into chapter 11, verse 1, what does the parenthetical session, section mean? Um, Daniel is, is basically, let me read the passage. This is t- chapter 10, verse 21. Uh, but first I will tell you, I'm sorry, but first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Uh, No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Uh, Remember, this is a conversation Daniel's having with an angel. And the angel is simply saying, okay, I'm going to tell you what uh, is written, but um, here's a little explanation. Uh, I was held up. Daniel is the one who delivered me. So uh, that's all that means, Kirby. Uh, and then chapter 11 says, the first year of Darius to me, I took my stand to support and protect him. So um, uh, there's a, a separate thought going on in chapter 11, but the import here, Kirby, is simply that the explanation is that the angel needed help. Uh, Michael was dispatched from heaven and then the answer to the prayer came through. Thank you very much. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous. Uh, Pastor on in John 6. Jesus repeatedly said he would raise us up at the last day. He also mentioned earlier that we would be raised from the grave. 
some for redemption and some for condemnation. I'm a little confused when I thought I would immediately be absent from the body and present with God. Could you please help me understand this? Thank you very much. I can do it anonymous. It's it's uh, pretty straightforward. Jesus is referring to the day of judgment, on the day of judgment. Now, we have to remember the Jewishness of this message. Uh, Jesus was really important uh, that, that, that he was addressing the mindset of the audiences around him. Now, let me also give you the context of John chapter 6. Jesus is um, saying, and this is the will of him who sent me, meaning the Father, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And then he explains his Father's will. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What we're being told here, Anonymous is very straightforward, Jesus saying, on the last day, the day of judgment, some will go to condemnation, some will go to life. This doesn't suppose that those of us who are already with Jesus aren't with him or haven't already been raised to life. He's looking at the end of the time when when God is again going to deal with Israel. And um, Jesus is simply saying, when are they going to look at me? Now, the imagery here is important because this was what Moses did in the wilderness with the serpent. Uh, when the snakes were loose and beer dying, he had to look at the serpent. So Jesus is saying something very Jewish here. And he's saying, look to me. I am that serpent. I'm going to be cursed. I'm going to be cursed. The serpent is cursed. I'm going to be cursed. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, Galatians 3.13 says. Um, but but again, Jesus is simply saying, this is the way to be saved. Now, let me also say this. You're right in that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, but that's not what Jesus is addressing here uh, at all. So um, this is nothing more than Jesus simply saying, um, I kept them all. The ones that you gave me, they're the ones who are going to be uh, preserved for redemption. And they will be raised up, meaning they will go to eternal life. That's all. It has no implications at all for the New Testament Christian who already is inhabited by the Spirit of God. Remember, the Spirit hadn't yet been given. That means we didn't have um, uh, what we needed to get to heaven. So when it's time for you to go, whether it's the rapture or natural death, we will be immediately in the presence of the Lord. That's why Paul could say, um, I don't know what to do uh, to depart and be with Jesus, which is better by far, or to remain here in the body, which means profitable service for you. Um, and, and he got his answer from the Holy Spirit. He was going to remain here for a while. But, but we go instantly into the presence of the Lord. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question. This one was from Ryan from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I would like to know about the importance of Christian baptism. I actually went to the KSLR studio to ask you this specifically. Thank you. Ryan, thanks for making the effort. Now, I actually don't do this program from the KSLR studio. We did this at the very beginning when we started this program. We drive down there every day, and and we just couldn't ever predict traffic, and it got too cumbersome. So uh, the studio, they were so gracious, they gave us a a little mini studio that we could do here in my office at the church. So uh, Christian baptism is very important because it demonstrates our obedience for what God has done. Now, Ryan, this is crucial. Christian baptism doesn't save anyone. 
Baptism is a response to being saved already. Now, baptism, Jesus' day was a baptism of repentance. John the Baptist established that. Um, but, it, but it was a public profession. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, what keeps me from being baptized? It was simply a public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said we should be baptized. He told the rest of us that we'd go out and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That makes baptism important because Jesus said it. Now, Ryan, one thing always to remember is that the, 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 the physical activity of baptism doesn't matter. It's the heart. Now, remember, Jewish males were circumcised on the eighth day, a painful cutting away of the flesh. Um, it was a sign of the covenant they had with God. Well, our baptism in addition to being a public demonstration of our faith in Jesus Christ, is a sign of the covenant that that God has made with us. So that's all baptism is. Baptism isn't necessary to be saved, but it is necessary to be obedient to the Lord. And every Christian ought to desire to be obedient. In fact, in the uh, first epistle of John, he says, if you call yourself a Christian, then you need to be obedient. If you're not obedient, then you're lying and the truth isn't in you. And so baptism is simply Jesus saying, do this, it's our public declaration. Now let me confuse you just a little bit, Ryan. Uh, In in the New Testament, in in a Jewish context, um, I told you the baptism was their public profession of faith. Um, We sort of, in our church culture, do the public profession differently. We'll have people come forward in an invitation or raise their hands to accept Jesus Christ. What they're doing is making a public statement that I no longer belong to me, but I belong to him. Now, that's really important. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And the idea there is that this this public confession is important. And what I've seen practically, Ryan, is that when we make that public profession, we let people know that I am now a Christian. I no longer belong to me. I belong to him. I'm going to live my life for him. The Holy Spirit does something in us. And and that's why we need to do that. Here at our church, Ryan, uh, I don't ever preach a message uh, without giving an invitation. Not ever. Um, I know there are always unbelievers in the church. I want to give them an opportunity uh, to get saved. And so we're going to continue to do that. That's the importance of it. Um, Baptism, when we go publicly into the water, we're burying the old life. We come up out of the water in the power of the resurrected life. Uh, And everybody knows we belong to him. But again, I want to emphasize that is not something we do to get saved. It's something we do in obedience because we are saved. Thank you, Ryan. I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from, let me find it, Andy. And he says, I know you believe in eternal security, 
But what about people who brazenly walk away from Jesus? Well, Andy, again, Jesus said, I've lost none that you've given me. We just read that in response to the other question. He said that uh, before his disciples, um, the Father, uh, I have you in my hand. No one can snatch you out of my hand. The Father who is greater than I has you in his hand. No one can snatch you out of his hand. The idea is he wants us to be secure. Now, here's the problem. We have a lot of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ, or at least they make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and then they don't follow through. And I've seen, as you have, Andy, a lot of people, tons of people who said they were Christians, but are living a life that is completely separate from the the Lord. And when when they do that, then we've got to answer the question, well, were they saved and lost their salvation? Um, the answer is First John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us because they were never part of us. Uh, you know, we go over that verse very quickly uh, when we read it. But remember John, and the same thing is true with Peter, uh, the idea that Judas, who they thought was one of them, betrayed the Lord, that never left them. It influenced their theology. Uh, And so when people brazenly walk away from the Lord, the truth is, even though they say they belong to Jesus, again, using John's terms in 1 John, they are a liar and they don't have the truth in them. So here's what we do, Andy. We wait for some time to pass. We judge the fruit in people's lives. And we pray for people. You know, we, we just have to know, and I, I understand the natural curiosity, well, is he really saved or is she really saved? Um, the answer to that question will be proven out over time. Now, I don't need to know, Andy, and you don't need to know, because Galatians says God knows. God will not be mocked. He knows those who are his. And we got to be okay with that. Now, here's a rule in my life, Andy. What I try to do is treat people not according to who they say they are, but I treat them according to the way that they're living their lives. So if someone tells me they're a Christian, and then in the conversation I find out that they're living with somebody they're not married to or they're involved in a sexual relationship with somebody or they're a drunk or they're a thief, or I would say, well, wait, wait a minute, you can't be a Christian and do those things. And you'll find out really quickly if they're a Christian or not. If they're really a Christian, the Holy Spirit will convict them and they will repent. If they're not a Christian, obviously the Spirit's not in them and they'll insist on doing what they do. I've said this several times in the last couple of days or a couple of programs. Uh, there's people all the time who will say, well, well, uh, I know you're judging me, but God knows my heart. Well, if your heart is sinful, you're right. God knows it. That ought to terrify you. So people that walk away from the Lord, they had an experience with the Lord. Let me also refer you um, to uh, Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, because Jesus describes there what happens when we sow the word of God. You know, in the parable, you used to scatter the seed, just throw it everywhere, and it lands on different type of soils. And in some of the soils, you know, there's instant fruit. It's on shallow soil, and and it comes up quickly because of the heat of the sun. But then it dies because there's really no root. There's no foundation. Uh, Other times, um, the, the seed goes down in, but it gets choked 
out by the cares and the worries of this world. And Jesus just describing, as we scatter the word, as we sow the word of God wherever we go, we're going to find people who really are saved. We're going to find people who say they're saved, and they have this emotional response, this joyful response, uh, but then they just go back to their own lives. And I want to emphasize, Andy, we don't need to know you and I because God knows. And it's much better simply to wait when I have people that I really love. And boy, in my 28 years here plus, there's a whole bunch of people that I really love who've walked away from the Lord. And my prayer for them is usually, Lord, go get them. Go get them. If they were really yours, you left the 99 to go to the one, go get them. Holy Spirit, make their lives difficult. That's that's my prayer. So they'll turn or return to the Lord. But if they don't belong to Jesus, and again, only God knows, then I just simply pray for their salvation. But eternal security, Andy, is key. God wants you to trust him. God wants you to believe him. And the people who walked away, they walked away because they didn't want to stop sinning. And that's an indication that they never really belonged to Jesus. Thank you, Andy. I hope that answers your question. Can I just caution all of you? We we want to know so much. You know, again, because we have family members or friends who said they were Christians. Uh, it's even worse with parents and children. Well, I raised my kids in church. They were baptized and they said the sinner's prayer. That doesn't save anybody. What saves people is a changed heart a changed life. And if you truly meet Jesus Christ, I don't care whether you're five years old or 105 years old, if you've truly met Jesus Christ, then your life changes. Those are the people that we can be absolutely certain are saved. For the rest of the people, that's between them and God. Our job is to convict them. Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 lists these sins, always begins with the sexually immoral, but lists these bunch of sins. And and Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that people who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when somebody is living like that, for you to give them any security in their salvation, when the Bible is written specifically to make them feel insecure, that would be wrong. Well, once saved, always saved. If you're really saved, that's true. But it's just not possible for somebody to really be saved and willfully sin against God. I don't mean that we don't slip. We have problems. We've even created a polite Christian word, backsliding. But you see, the real Christian with the Spirit of God living in him or in her. Remember, the Holy Spirit has a first name. It's holy. When we're not living a life pleasing to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting us and making life really difficult. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. We love your calls and questions. Or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Thomas. Uh, please explain why you believe there will be a rapture. I've been listening to N.T. Wright 
in a debate with John MacArthur, and they have completely differing views. Um, Thomas, you're right, they have differing views. Uh, there's not um, um, John MacArthur's eschatology, that's a study of the end times, is really, really solid um, and and uh, very orthodox. He believes in a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial rapture of the church. Um, N.T. Wright is an Episcopal priest. I could stop right there. They have completely trashed the Bible. I don't know why any believer would listen to N.T. Wright. Not only that, but N.T. Wright um, uh, only deals really with one question, First Thessalonians chapter 4, one, one portion of Scripture. And then he'll twist and turn the context of that and eliminate any possibility of the rapture. And then he'll make these broad generalizations. Um, you, you just can't do that. I believe there's a rapture because the Bible says clearly there will be. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses, beginning in verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed. He's dealing with the resurrected life, the resurrection body in chapter 15, and that's sort of the end. Not We're, we're all not going to die. If you die, you're going to be with the Lord. But not everybody's going to die. But we will all be changed in an instant. Uh, there's a bunch of pictures of, of uh, the rapture in the Bible. Thomas, let me recommend to you um, my Bible study in Revelation chapter 4. If you go to our website, calvarysa.com, the very first study that I do uh, in Revelation chapter 4 deals with the rapture in complete depth. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate it. Let's go to our caller. We've got Mark on line one. Mark, thanks for holding you on the air. We got you. Have we got you, Mark? Oh, I guess we lost Mark. Mark, please. Yes, hello. I'm oh. right here. Okay, I got you. Hello. Yeah, hello, Pastor Ron. Say, this is in regards uh, to the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I've done a little study on the side on uh, two theories on whether uh, due to verses in Revelation, other verses throughout uh, the Word regarding whether God and everybody put from the beginning of mankind put in the uh, Lamb's Book of Life, and they do not accept the Lord upon death, and they will be uh, blotted out, or is your name put, our, our name put in the Book of Life, uh, never to lose again, once we have received Christ as Savior, it's just put in the Book of Life, but then I hear other verses in Revelation say, if you worship the mark of the beast, and it's mm-hmm. blotted out. Can you sort this out for me? Yeah, I can, Mark, and, and you've made a common error when we read um, uh, about uh, the names being blotted out. It never says that we will blot the, the name out. Uh, in fact, it says we will never blot your name out. We make the logical assumption that, well, if we get a promise that our name will never be blotted out, it must mean that he will blot others out. So it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, when he says, I will never, uh, it's the strongest possible term in the Greek. Uh, he will never, ever, ever, ever blot your name out because, of course, you belong to him. Now, relative to the book of life, remember, it says the books, plural, are open. And there is a book of life. There's a book, uh, Mark, of your life. Um, all of your deeds, all of the things that you've done, um, the, the way God has been dealing with you. 
and that book will be opened if you are a Christian when that book is open. Now, I'm going to use figurative language here. Um, then all of the charges against you, remember the enemy accuses us day and night before the throne of God. Um, when the, your book is open, Mark, um, not the gospel of Mark, the book of Mark, um, every accusation is going to be covered with bloodstains. So they're not going to be able to find any charges against you. And because you're a born-again Christian, then your name goes into another book, and that's the Lamb's Book of Life. And there's once you're in that book, you are in that book. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13, beginning there. Um, um, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit or down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. That's when our name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. So you can never be blotted out of that life. But again, keep in mind, it never says anywhere that he blots out any names. There are books, plural. Our name goes into those books. Um, But in the Lamb's Book of Life, it is the eternal book, and that signifies our entry into the family of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Very, very important. And I know people uh, read that and they think, oh, he must blot out some. He never blots out any who are truly born again and whose names are entered into the Lamb's Book of Life. Wonderful question, Mark. Thank you for your patience and holding. We've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. We've got Mark with a follow-up question. Mark, you are on the air. Mark? Okay. Hello, okay. Pastor Ron. Can you hear Hi, Mark. Me? I can hear you fine. Thank you. Hello? Yes, sir. I've got you. Hello? Okay, great. Okay, awesome. Okay, uh, uh, as uh, in response to that last question, which you answered admirably, I'm the same person, by the way, on the Book of Life. Uh, first of all, just to clarify what you said about uh, can never be blotted out. I thought there was one or two verses in Revelation about somebody uh, implied being in the book of life, but if you worship the mark of the beast or pay homage to him, then you would you would be blotted out or taken off of that uh, book of life. I might be misreading that. Also, in Isaiah 35, You've probably never gotten a question like this before. Uh, it talks about the highway to holiness all of a sudden thrown into a chapter in that uh, Isaiah regarding uh, refuge of, of the waters or uh, in the wilderness or something like that. And the path to stay on the highway is a highway to holiness. Uh, could you remark on that as well, sir? 
Yeah, I can, Mark. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. A couple of things. There's no, again, there's there's no indication. Uh, when, the, when the mark of the beast is taken, people are acknowledging and they're doing that with the full knowledge that this is an eternal decision that they're making. There's no possibility of anybody taking the mark of the beast by mistake or by accident. So we can't be duped. I know a lot of times Christians will get kind of freaked out while they're, they've got chips. And no, if you take the mark of the beast, you will know what you're doing and you will be making an eternal decision. And of course, that's only going to happen in the last seven years of, of history. Uh, we call it the Great tri- Tribulation. So... Um, um, There's no, it's not, they were in the book by virtue of the fact that they are alive during the Great Tribulation, Mark. um, The... Uh, they're 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 already not in the Lamb's Book of Life. So very important. Uh, the only people that are going to be left here uh, when the Great Tribulation starts are those people who are not born again Christians. And so there's um, it's it's not like they could lose anything. It's not something they had. Now one of the good things, Mark, about the Great Tribulation is that there's going to be a huge revival. Uh, the biggest, the greatest revival in the history of of our planet. Um, the the reality, however, is that converting to Christ in this great tribulation is going to cost almost everybody their lives. There will be a few people that survive. Um, one hundred forty four thousand witnesses will survive. Uh, some of the people uh, that are saved as a result of their ministry, but um, um, it's going to cost most people their lives. And uh, we see them in the book of Revelation under the altar crying out for vengeance. How long, O Lord, till you avenge our blood? So with all of that said, the highway to holiness. I love that passage of scripture, um, Mark. The, the highway to holiness is the one who is coming. You know, throughout the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah can be a little bit difficult because he skips time frames a lot. But but uh, the highway to holiness, when I taught that passage of Scripture, um, just all of the pictures of Jesus that are there uh, are all that we need to focus on. But he's the path in the middle of all of the wilderness, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of trials, in the middle of tests. Then and now, there was always a highway to holiness. And I love the imagery uh, comparing the difficulty of of trials and tests and persecution um, uh, with the, the uh, it, it's like a, a, an Audubon of holiness uh, that gets us directly to the Lord. Good questions, Mark. Please call again. 340-9585. We've got Leslie on line two. Leslie, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, sir. Um, I just have a question about Isaiah 28, 16. Uh, it's talking about uh, I lay a cornerstone. Uh, I don't know if you want me to read the whole verse, but at the end it says, you know, he that believeth shall not make haste. So I was kind of confused about what that means. You know, I switch between versions, and then another version, NIV says, he that relies on it will never be stricken with panic. So I was just kind of wondering, like in the King James, you know, uh, about the cornerstone. Of course, that's Christ. Um, but I didn't understand the shall not make haste part. Okay. And you said Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Yes, sir. Okay, let me get there, and I will do my best to explain it to you. 
Um, verse 16 says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, whenever there's a so this is what the sovereign Lord says, it's because of what he said just prior to that. So let me go back to verse 14 and sort of read ahead. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast we have entered into a covenant with death, with the grave we've made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we have made our refuge and falsehood our rest, our hiding place. Now, in the immediate context here, uh, this describes, now remember we're back to uh, Samaria here, uh, as his audience, the the northern tribes, the Assyrian inva- invasion that they think uh, an alliance with Egypt will protect them from, um, they're confident that everything will go well, and God is simply saying, no, 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 you are so wrong. Now, in a longer-term context, uh, Leslie, it also describes the covenant that Jews will make with the man that we know as the Antichrist in the Great Tribulation. They will follow him at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, uh, all the way to the midpoint when he demands to be worshipped and and uh, then then desolates the Holy Temple. Uh, and from that point forward, we know this from Daniel 9, verse 27, uh, they will refuse to worship his image. So here's the verse. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Behold, I lay a stone in Zion. First um, Peter chapter... 2 verse 6 applies this very verse to Jesus. I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts in him will never be dismayed. Um, And um, the sure foundation here is the key. Uh, Peter's simply saying that the foundation they have for living now is shaky uh, that's what Isaiah was telling him in spite of their confidence. Um, their foundation is found in lies and deceit. Um, we would say, you're just kidding yourself. Um, but the solid foundation that is Jesus uh, is as solid as it gets. So uh, I, I, I missed the, the last part of it. Were you going into verse 17 where he says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line? Um, so I, I hope that answers your question, but uh, I, I didn't get or don't remember the last part of your question. I don't see anything in verse 16. Uh, it simply says, the one who trusts in him will never be dismayed. I, that is an accurate translation. I'm reading out of the 1984 NIV. Thank you, Leslie. appreciate the call. 340-9585, we have now on the line... Elizabeth from Spring Branch. Elizabeth, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, sir. I, the reason I'm calling is because my mom attends a Catholic church, and recently she was very concerned because she's planning on being cremated. And she says that they told her that if she is, she's not going to go to heaven. And yeah. she is a, a believer. So if you can give me a little bit of information on that, I'll let you go so I can hear you on the radio. I okay, would appreciate Elizabeth. It. Thank you. I can do that. Elizabeth, I plan on being cremated as well. The Bible doesn't indicate that there is any particular way of being buried. You know, there were people that that are lost at sea. The sea will give up the dead. Hades will give up the dead. God will have no problem uh, putting our bodies back together uh, when that time comes to go be with him. 
Um, so, um, um, Catholic traditions uh, aside, uh, there's no reason to be um, reticent at all about being cremated. It always bugs me the money that people spend that they can't afford on these ridiculously expensive funerals. When in fact, what happens to these old bodies? By the time uh, your mother, or 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 in my case, the time I go to be with the Lord, um, by the time they decide what to do with my body, uh, I'm already going to be gone. The the real me, the real your mom, is going to be taken out and taken immediately to the Lord. So um, cremation. Um, uh, people have strong feelings about it, but most of it is just tradition. We are very superstitious when it comes to rituals regarding death, and we don't have to worry about it. Paula teases about having my old body stuffed and put on rollers so she can drag me around the house. And, you know, it would be perfectly okay. It would be perfectly okay. That, that wouldn't affect me being in heaven at all. So, no, cremation does not keep... Uh, somebody from going to heaven at all. Now, Elizabeth, I got to say this. I feel compelled to say this. Um, your mom is going to a Catholic church. Uh, that church won't save her. She must be born again. She must be born again. Jesus said that to Nicodemus, um, one of the most religious men in all of Israel when Jesus was there. And he said twice, you must be born again. And Catholic doctrine is problematic. Catholics don't teach that you need to be born again. And you say she is a believer. God bless you, and I'm I'm going to take your word for that. But but as long as she has life here on this earth, why in the world would a believer go to the Catholic Church when their doctrine is so wrong? When virtually everything they teach. I mean, the only thing they have right, and it's enough, they've got the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they know who they are. But pretty much everything else is wrong. So Elizabeth, God bless you. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Anonymous. Um, He says, I, I, I think it's he, I really find it hard to be kind or have empathy toward others. I am a believer. Is there a way to improve? Um, and not, I'm laughing because so many people they need to be as honest as you are uh, about themselves. You know, we pretend to be kind. We pretend to care. When the reality is we really don't care. So write this down. If you're taking notes right now, write this down. The only way to improve, the only way to be kind, the only way to be empathetic with others is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When I say filled, I don't mean just as a believer. You say you're a believer, the Spirit lives in you. But you have to surrender your life to the power of the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit. Paul talks about be ye continually being filled with the Spirit of God. And there's no other source for kindness or compassion. And the reality, here's the litmus test for you, Anonymous. Galatians chapter 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience and kindness? If you can't be kind, it's because you don't have the capacity within you to be kind. That must be provided by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what you need to do. You need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, I am not doubting your salvation at all. All I'm saying is that there is another experience with the Holy Spirit that you need to pursue. Jesus said to his crestfallen disciples, 
it's good for you that I go away because when I go, I will send another me, literally another like me, the promised Holy Spirit to you. And he'll come upon you in power. And that's what you need to do. If you ask for the Holy Spirit in power, it comes with a realization that you can't be in control. You've got to confess to the Lord that not being kind is a sin. Not having empathy toward others is a sin. Ask for forgiveness and then say, Jesus, Romans 5, 5 says that you poured out your love into my heart by the Holy Spirit that you've given me. That's what you need to be empathetic or to be kind. You know, we Christians, we can try as we might to be nicer, to be better, um, but we're always going to blow it. That's why we need his inexhaustible source of power and love. Thank you, Anonymous. Jesse says, to be honest, I've been away from church since COVID. I have some fear about going back into a crowd. Does God understand if I remain doing online church? Jesse, I'm going to be really direct with you. Yes, he minds. He minds a great deal. Jesus would say to you, do not be afraid. Now, you might respond, but I am afraid. Get over it. Take a step of faith. Let the Holy Spirit direct you. Let Jesus protect you. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get COVID. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be exposed to other things. Here's the reality, Jesse. Since COVID, you've been spiritually lazy and you have drifted away. The book of Hebrews has six specific warnings that begin with drifting away. Nobody just finds themselves. I'm sure before 2020, you couldn't even imagine not going to church. But here you are, you've drifted away. Now you find yourself, spiritually speaking, out in the middle of the ocean trying to tread water, and it just doesn't work. So God does not understand. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to do what he's told you to do. Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints, Hebrews 10.25. So what you've got to do is you've got to decide, am I going to let my fear keep me where I am? Or am I going to combat my fear with faith and do that which pleases God? And if you choose the former, if you choose just to stay because it's more comfortable, you feel better. I want you to understand that that spiritual laziness, it's being slothful and you're putting yourself in a really difficult position. I'm sorry, you're putting yourself in a position where the enemy can pound, where all kinds of doubt is going to come in, and there's simply not going to be any power in your life. So get over your fear, Jesse. This is very important. Um, You know, we've got people coming all the time who are just coming back from COVID, and they've missed out on so much. I mean, it's 2024. In 2020, it's not quite four full years, um, but people have been letting the devil win. We cannot give in to fear. We've got to trust the Lord. So, yeah, he minds a great deal. Sorry about being so direct, but I had to, Jesse. Thank you. Vicki says, Pastor Ron, how can I find out what spiritual gifts I've been given? 
Um, Vicki, there's, there's, uh, sometimes it's obvious. Uh, sometimes when God gives a gift, there'll be opportunity to manifest that gift, gift right away. But I think for most of us, we want to know, well, what are my spiritual gifts? First Corinthians twelve seven says that um, a spiritual gift, at least one has been given to everybody. If you're a real believer, you have a gift. So here's how you find out what that gift is. And then if you're faithful using that gift, you're going to find out that God gives extra gifts, other gifts. That's always the case. I don't know anybody with just one gift if they are actually being obedient. So here's what you do. Wherever it is you serve, Vicki, you start serving. Whatever they need, just say, Lord, okay, when... When the announcer person, we have an announcer who says occasionally what our needs are in terms of service. Um, whatever they say today, wherever, if they need help, I'm going to do it. Cleaning crew, children's ministry, usher ministry. Um, I'm going to sing on the worship team. Um, I'm going to go with the prayer group. Whatever it is, you say yes to the Lord. And then what you're going to find is that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And as you are serving him... He's going to begin speaking to your heart. He's going to begin manifesting those gifts and, and, and an understanding of what those gifts really are. But Vicki, nobody ever gets any clarification on the gifts of the Spirit that they have by just sitting idly, waiting for God to reveal it to him or her in your case. So very important, the way you're going to find out is serve somebody else. Jesus was, my friend Gail Irwin always used to say, the only other, truly others-centered person in the history of the world. So what we have to do is we have to let Christ in us, the hope of glory, speaking of the Holy Spirit, lead us and make us like Jesus. And the way you do that is to serve others. John chapter 13, Jesus in his really difficult moments before his crucifixion, picked up a rag and picked up a bucket of water and washed 12 pairs of filthy feet. And he said, I've done this as an example that you should now go and do likewise. In other words, wash the feet of the saints. Now, that wasn't a literal go wash the feet that culturally they, they lived, they wore sandals, they lived on dirt roads and feet would get dirty and the, the, the lowest slave in a house would, would then wash the feet of the visitors. Jesus is saying, go serve people. Too often we think our service is about us or for us. It's not. What are we going to do with the power God gave us, with the gifts God has given us? Those gifts have to be poured out on others. One of the real problems, Vicki, with these crazy charismatic churches that are everywhere is people think that the gifts of the Spirit are there to go get goosebumps and, and enjoy. There are times when that may happen. But the, the, the gift of the Spirit and the, the gifts God has given you, those gifts are to be utilized for the benefit of and to be a blessing to other people. And I can promise you with no hesitation that if you start serving others in your church body, you're going to find out what gifts God has given you. Okay, here is a question from Jean. This will probably be the last one we have today. She says, I am an adult woman who, let me start over. I am an adult woman who wants to know if kissing men on dates is a sin. Uh, Jean, no, it's not a sin. Um, now, I, I don't know 
your level of self-control. I don't know uh, how much you're being tempted uh, or not. So protect your holiness, your virtue. But, um, you know, sometimes we Christians can get real legalistic. Oh, don't hold hands. Don't kiss. Um, but but that's, that's all extra biblical stuff. So um, no, kissing men is not a sin, but... Um, believe me, the Holy Spirit, as a believer, the Holy Spirit will be with you, um, warning you about going any further or putting yourself in a place where the temptation is about to overcome you. So, Gene, I hope that really makes sense to you. You know, we have got to stop telling people that stuff that God doesn't say is sin is sin. We just got to stop telling people. I have a friend who says gambling is a sin. Well, it's it's not. It's not good. For me, it's a sin because I had a gambling problem before I got saved. Something I know God wants to take me from or he has delivered me from. But uh, it's just like I would like to tell the whole world that drinking any alcohol at all is a sin. But I can't because that's misrepresenting the Lord. So um, kissing, touching, just guard yourself. You know what your ability to, to withstand temptation is. Don't put yourself in a place where you could be taken advantage of or where your flesh might get carried away. Um, guard. If, if there is a man that you care enough about to kiss, guard the future relationship that you may have with that man by keeping it holy. By keeping it holy. Now, I don't have time to go to another question, so let me just plead with all of you the world that we live in is sex crazy. The highway to holiness, I'll borrow that from the earlier question, is to be sure to remember that when you're on a date, Jesus is with you. Don't do anything with that man or with that woman that you wouldn't do if Jesus were right there in the car with you. Because literally, as a believer, he is. It's not a physical presence, but he's there. And I think we need to remember that. And that way we can communicate uh, to the person we're with that I, I can't do this. I can't do this because Jesus is here and I don't feel comfortable. Again, kissing's not a sin, but you will know with the Spirit living in you, you'll know where that line is for you. So Gene, hope that helps you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You have been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I appreciate so much you tuning in every day. Lord willing, I will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Okay.